Hi, I'm Patrick. And I'm Sam. Welcome to Sloppy and Unforeseen, a podcast for worship leaders that aims to encourage conversation among peers. From the silly to the serious, we want to help you see both sides of the conversation and work to bring the church together. Whether you're team sloppy or team unforeseen, there are no right answers here. Just a desire to have dialogue between all traditions of worship. Welcome back, everyone, to Sloppy and Unforeseen. This is Patrick, along with my co-host, Sam. How are you, man? I am the co-host, officially. It's in my title. <laughs> You've claimed the title. I'm good. Um, I'm good, Patrick. It's beautiful day outside, sun shining, a little bit hazy from the uh, the smoke coming down from Canada, but hopefully everybody's okay. Yeah, yeah. We always uh, we always timestamp our, our recording dates with some kind of local event. I don't know if we should do that or not, but yeah, if... Uh, if you're listening to this in the future, remember the forest fires, the, the summer that Canada was on fire, basically. It's been uh, it's been up in the Northeast. It's been a crazy week. My son's actually at camp sleeping out in a tent all week, but miraculously, uh, northern New England has had uh, clear air all week, which we're very thankful for that he's not sleeping out in that, uh, you know, for the week. But anyway... Um, we are here. I'm I'm thrilled to welcome Brent Milligan to the podcast. Brent, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us. Um, I think you are a name that uh, that a lot of people in our, our community, at least on the, the, the Facebook page, recognize. Um, you're certainly active in the Worship Leaders Plus Facebook group, which is how we connected with you. Um, but for those who don't know or those who only know you from that group, can you give us, you know, the, the Reader's Digest version of, um, you know, how did you get to today? Um, now, what's your faith background, your upbringing, and, uh, you know, what got you into uh, to music? Uh, faith background and upbringing. Well, I was, um, I was born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and we actually lived uh, – we lived next door to a guy who was a pastor at a Baptist church hmm. and we became very good friends with him. Um, he was a little older than my parents, but we started going to his church and to say that he was a, a beautiful, faithful, kind man is just an understatement. Hmm. I mean, he was, he was just the, you know, the greatest of all time kind of pastor guy and just, a, just a sweet, humble person. Um, and, um, he was just a, he was a rock and, and, and just a real guiding light, uh, a little bit for me, uh, for, for our family and just a, a good man in the community. So, I, th- so early on, I got to see that, hmm. um, you know, so when you, you know, when I'm faced with a, a modern Netflix takedown of a popular ministry or something like that, you know, I can look back and go, it can be done right. Right. Mm. Um, there, there are men out there who are just getting up every morning and asking themselves, how can I serve hmm. and how can I lay down my life? And, um, so, so I was, I feel very blessed to have had that as a, you know, as a kid and as a young man. And I mean, really he passed away, uh, in 2020. So, um, you know, I, 
I would have lunch with him sometimes when I would go back to Baton Rouge. Nice. Um, so we grew up in that church. Um, when I was about 15, uh, my brother started going to a different school that was run by a church. And so he started going to that church. And then consequently, we we're very close in age. I started going to that church. And it's it was a pretty charismatic church. Um, and so that was the first time I had ever seen a band on stage. Okay. Mm, and okay. and I had started playing bass, you know, maybe a couple of years before this. Um, so slowly I kind of um, worked my way into that rotation and and um and started playing there and there were really good musicians on that team and so that was a real catalyst for me as a player mm -hmm. you know when i look back and i think where did i learn to play it was um i played along with records a lot in my room alone and then i a, another really big formative uh experience was playing on that church worship team nice and um so I did that for about seven years. Um, you know, there were that church, I would say was a, it was a good church. And, you know, then it was a little wacky in places, you know, <laughs> like pretty much every church. Mm -hmm. Um, but in reality, the, the leaders of that church, I had some super, again, just thank you, Jesus. I had some super solid leaders who, you know, they, they weren't right maybe about everything all the time, but they, they did love well and they did pursue Jesus with a relentless, uh, you know, with just a kind of ferociousness, sure. um, that pushed everybody around them to do the same. And it was, it was overall a great experience. And we had a college group, uh, this was in, I would say late high school and college. But when I was in college, we had a college group at that church that was probably 200 people. Wow. Um, so it was huge. You were always around each other. Uh, we always went on mission trips together in the summer. I mean, it was super immersive and very formative. Um, and I mean, I was playing music, I don't know, four times a week there. Awesome. You know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Thursday night, Tuesday night. Um, and then you'd have the odd Bible study here and there. It was just, it was very, very involved, very, what I, my word for it is immersive. You were just completely immersed in it and it, and it was great. Um, so I played so much and loved it so much that I kind of, after I got, um, I got a marketing degree from LSU in Baton Rouge and um, as soon as I got that degree, um, I had also, I've left out of the story that I started dating my wife in high school. Okay. Um, so, um, we dated in high school and then she went off to Wheaton college in mm -hmm. Illinois Yep. and I was at LSU, but we wrote a lot of letters because texts and emails didn't exist then. <laughs> and, uh, we wrote a lot of letters and, um, and stayed together and got married um, not long before I graduated college because I took a little longer than she did. Um, so when I got my diploma, the two of us packed a truck and moved to Nashville. 
Okay. Uh, and you know, because in the middle. Thought, what's that? You met in the middle. We met in the middle. Yeah. So, um, so I, we had just kind of, I mean, I just felt this pull. I just wanted to play music and I thought I'm going to give it a shot. If it doesn't work out, then, you know, it doesn't work out, but at least I gave it a shot. Um, so we moved here and, um, just through a couple of friends that I knew here, um, you know, it took, it took maybe two or three years to kind of get off the ground a little bit. Um, but I just, I look back at that and I just have to, you know, it, I really have to give credit to God's favor and him opening doors. Sure. Um, I've, you know, I used to pray a lot. God opened doors and, um, and somebody told me you need to pray as if you're not practicing. And then you need to practice as if you're not praying. And so I practiced a lot mm-hmm. and I also, you know, prayed for God to open doors. And, uh, but I, you know, I've never, trying to know i've never won an audition hmm. um, oh really I, I think i've yeah i think i auditioned twice um and i i came in second at both okay and so um i at some point i just kind of decided i'm not going to audition anymore that hmm. it was um i don't think it's a waste of time for everybody but for those two auditions i felt like i did really well but the the groups and they picked uh basically close friends of theirs mm-hmm. that you know oh he's our friend we can't let him down we're going to take him which is understandable mm-hmm. uh, now but then i realized this is not a fair process where <laughs> you know the where if you're you know uh prepared and all, i don't know it's just not a a completely fair process so um so let me think. So I landed in Nashville. Um, I was just doing, you know, whatever little gigs I could. Um, I met a producer named Charlie Peacock, okay. who uh-huh. was, as a producer, he was my hero at sure. the time. And just a, a brilliant guy, musically, uh, spiritually, uh and and just a class act of a man overall just a, a complete complete package nice um and he kind of took me under you know he he deliberately said i want to take you under my wing and help you get started and help you get established and and i mean he taught me countless things uh just about navigating the music industry, navigating life. Um, he gave me permission to I mean, He sat me down one day and said, you don't have to be weird to make a living in this industry. Hmm. You don't have to be weird to be a professional musician. You don't have to get a divorce to be a professional musician. You don't have to <laughs> let your life fall apart and crumble to, you know, you don't have to follow that path. Yeah. You can follow a path of, of, you know, being married long-term, being faithful, being quote-unquote normal, and be a very successful professional musician. 
hmm. which was that was his that was his goal yeah. to, you know to be that and and it was just cool because you have you know you have everybody's exploring that in their uh at least they were when i was in my 20s and everybody's kind of figuring out who we want to be and gosh i'm a professional musician now how am i supposed to act you know um Am I, I look kind of crazy. Am I going to be crazy in my real life just because I look a little different? I mean, there's just all that stuff. And he, he really helped me navigate that. Um, another guy was a guy named Eddie DeGarmo from the group DeGarmo and Key, hmm. um, which was a CCM act in the, I guess the eighties and, and early nineties. Um, but, Eddie and Dana Key. Dana Key was a great guy. Um, but I had more contact with Eddie and Eddie was a real, uh, guiding light. Br uh, gave me a lot of work. He was the head of a record label. Gotcha. Um, and so he gave me a lot of work and, and was just encouraging. And, you know, you, those older guys, those older guys stepping in, kind of helping you navigate, uh, that was huge for me. Yeah. And I was just really blessed to have, a few older guys that, uh, it, you know, in my formative years here that were just aces. Hmm. Um, so about, um, uh, so, so that's kind of like, that's my faith journey. Sure. Basically. Um, I mean, I feel like there's, uh, there's so many places we could go just from what you said already if we were uh if we weren't here to talk about gear um so <laughs> already thinking of so many questions but you know i know we uh you know we're here to talk about uh gear specifically but um i do want to say and and uh I, i'm i'm ambushing sam because he didn't know i was going to go on a tangent do you know you may, may or may, may or may not know him personally but the songwriter andrew peterson oh yeah i know andrew yeah, he has a, a song called uh, "Many Roads," which I, I don't know if you're familiar with that song, but I, I think of it often because uh, you know one of the lines is, um, "You know, if we step outside this great glass elevator high above the city lights, oh, so we can God, see all, song. yeah, you can see all the the roads that we all traveled just to get here. A million minuscule decisions in a line." And um, what's cool for me when in the summer of '95, and I think this is right around the maybe the timing you were talking about. Um, I went away to a youth ministry event. I had gotten saved three months earlier and, uh, went away to a youth ministry event. And one of the guys who was on staff worked at a, a Christian radio station and he had this stack of CDs and tapes at the time of, you know, up and coming bands. And, uh, he was giving them out to the guys on the floor. And, the, uh, the, so the first CD I ever got that was my own, um, was a band called Big Tent Revival. And, uh, I'm sure you remember, uh, being on that, on that record, but yeah, oh, this was back in the day when you opened CDs and, uh, you know, read the liner notes and was so, that the first record? That was the first record. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one I'm on the cover of. Yeah. 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 Oh, so, nice. so yeah. I've known your name for however many years that is 20, oh, wow. 28 years or so. Um, I wish I was looking for it quickly. I still have the CD around somewhere, uh, cause I still listen to it and, yeah, I mean, it was a powerful album for me, and you know, it was kind of a very formative time. I was going into seventh grade, and uh, you remember the song Two Sets of Joneses" off the, oh, yeah. the album. <laughs> um, 
that how can, uh, how can my, you not remember that song yeah, yeah great song well and and right before we left for camp my uh my dad told my sisters and i that he was moving out which would lead to my parents getting divorced uh that fall and you know i've always said that coming to faith right before that happened was definitely changed the trajectory of my adolescence and young adulthood but uh but yeah i i had that album on repeat but specifically that song so so man i just want to say you know, thanks for being you know you know, even just a small part of that and, and, and a small part of my faith journey, because I think it, it's you never get to know what that impact is. You know, however many years ago you were in the studio recording that, not knowing that, you know, I would listen to it and one day we'd, we'd be talking. So I want yeah. to say that to uh, to encourage you and, and what you're doing now and, and, and yeah. listening that, uh, you know, what might seem inconsequential in some ways can can have a have an impact on people's lives. So, yeah, that's a really cool story. Thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so Brent, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your family life? Uh, you said you were married. Uh, do you have kids and yes, what are they involved um, in? We have three kids. Um, ben is our oldest. Um, he is into boxing. Uh, he also, uh, is like a, um, computer programmer. Uh, he codes a lot, um, and uh, he's into coding, into IT, and then he boxes. Um, he's a kind of a uh, athletic kid. Um, and then our second is Anna Kate. Um, she is uh, quiet and and sort of just brilliant in terms of like arts and stuff, I and mean, she'll just sit down and draw something, you know, and you walk up and you're like, Oh my gosh, dude. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's hang on the wall level. Um, it's, um, pretty quiet, um, makes an incredible, she's, uh, she's gotten into kind of cooking and stuff lately. Mm-hmm. And, uh, is really good at that because, you know, you can cook quietly without talking to anyone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then our youngest, Megan, is um, she's kind of the the louder one, and just you know, uh, kind of happy go lucky, uh, really fun. She's a cheerleader, you know. She's a, she's a cheerleader in real life, and then she's kind of a cheerleader the rest of the time too, mm-hmm. you know. Nice. Um, so she's a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, my wife. Um, Gosh, I mean, we started dating when she was 15. I was 17. Um, so we've just, we've been together a long time now. I mean, she's the, she's the glue and, uh, you know, the, so here's a funny thing. Like in this conversation, I want to say she's the, she's the rock star of this whole thing, you know, mm. of our family. <laughs> but every time somebody says that, every time somebody says, you know, my pastor's a rock star, I'm like, really? He's a self-centered, narcissistic, you know, like when I think about rock star, I think about, you know, the guys in Motley Crue and I think about all these terrible attributes, you know? So when somebody calls somebody a rock star somewhere in my head, I kind of go, yeah, I don't think you really mean that. Right. right. Um, But she's the, I mean, my, my wife is just, she's great. She's amazing. And it's, um, I mean, I, I, I lay my head on the pillow every night thinking how lucky I am. That's awesome. That's awesome. 
are any of them uh, musical like you? Uh, the girls are are pretty musical. Uh, they both they both played piano for a for a long time, um, and they're both yeah they're both pretty musical. Uh, they don't you know they don't kind of love it at the level that um, I mean they're not obsessed with it. <laughs> okay, you know. <laughs> I mean, I used to come home from high school and go in my room and put on a record and just play for, I mean, I would lay, lay on my bed with, with my bass on my chest and play for, I don't know, two hours, three hours, and then maybe do some homework, eat dinner or whatever, and then play through another record at, you know, uh, after, uh, when I'm ready for bed, yeah. play through one side of another record. I, you know, and that's after playing in a couple, we had a couple classes in high school where I was playing and, or I'd leave high school and go to band practice, you know, cause that, we had a band of course right. and play for a couple hours. I was just always playing nice. and always wanted to be playing. Um, and you said so, your primary instrument was bass? Bass. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I call bass my native language. Anything <laughs> else is you know a second third language nice but you also played what, what was your what was your first bass that you played Ooh, my first bass that i owned i don't we, remember we had another episode brand. that was all about electric guitars so I'm, I'm curious about bass i don't remember what brand it was um oh it was a global that was it it was it's, I mean, it was the most awful, cheap, foreign <laughs> pawn shop, you know. Uh, I mean, this was in 1983, maybe. Okay. Um, so it was terrible, and I had it for about a month, and I played it all the time. And then I walked into a pawn shop and saw a PVT-40 which um, I don't know if you are familiar with that bass. It's kind of become a low-key classic at this point, which which cracks me up. But I saw one hanging on the wall, and um, and I played it, and it was super heavy. And I thought, this is a real bass. You know, <laughs> because, because it had a long scale. It had a 34-inch scale, and the, the, oh, wow. the, the one I had had maybe like a 30-inch scale. Gotcha. So the longer scale and the, the heaviness of the bass just felt they felt right. And so um, somehow I scraped up some yard mowing money and sold that other base and bought the PV. And then I played that for years um, and went through a couple of other bases. And then probably, probably two years after I moved to Nashville, I bought the base that would kind of change my life. Um, which is a 1964 jazz bass. Hmm. And um, I bought it from Corner Music here in Nashville. And that's that was the first bass that I ever plugged in, you know, and, and just, okay, this sounds like I've always wanted to sound. Mm -hmm. It's got, it just, I at that point, I had some kind of expensive, active, you know, I had the modulus graphite or, or Warwick or, you know, just these 
you know, these kind of quote unquote high end, I thought they must be great basses because they were expensive. Uh-huh. And the jazz bass was actually, you know, uh, probably a little bit cheaper than they were, but it just annihilated every one of them. Every one of those expensive bases was like in the trash can compared to that jazz base. So I sold them all. Um, nice. And that's what started kind of my love for vintage, vintage guitars, vintage basses. Um, Cause they just, those old fenders sound amazing in a track. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about that and that, you know, the jazz bass. it's yeah, it, it's a sound you can't get from, I don't think you can get it from anything else. So, yeah, it's hard to. So nice. So you've got a uh, you've got a lengthy resume. Um, you got to have a story or two that you could share that would make us smile, laugh, maybe mm-hmm. cringe. So share with us your best or or worst, however you want to phrase it, worship leading or stage fail. Oh, stage fail. Yeah. Um. Well, the probably. One of the biggest, in my opinion, stage fails that I had was uh, we were playing Nashville with Michael W. Smith. This is after we had made that uh, worship record, that first worship oh. record. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's a small um, crowd there, probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we, we had made that worship record, and we were we were playing shows um, – to support that. And we were playing Nashville. Mm. So you look out and you see, you know, some of your friends some people, you know, some industry people. And we get to this point in the show where um, he's talking and we all have in-ears in and he's talking. And it's very quiet. It's very heavy moment. I mean, he's, you know, sharing some great truth and, all that. And I hear this cell phone ring and I go, what idiot? Like the, the words form in my head, what idiot? Cause it's really close. And I'm like, what idiot? And as soon as idiot, you know, I mean, two seconds in, I realized that's my cell phone. Oh no. And so I suddenly realized that my cell phone is behind me on the drum riser and that I put it there. I just took my phone out of my pocket and put it on the drum riser at the beginning of the show. And so it's probably, I don't know, five feet, six feet behind me. So it's ringing and I'm just praying to God that he doesn't, you know, turn around and and go, what, who's... And, um, and so I realize it's mine and I, I like slowly slash quickly walk backwards with trying to create as little distraction as possible. And I grab my cell phone and I just chuck it like <laughs> behind the stage. I just throw it. Cause I'm like, if I throw this phone off stage, I don't know what's going to happen to the phone, but the problem goes away and I don't get fired or yelled at or, you know, (laughs) not that Michael was a, uh, you know, was a contentious guy or I'll fire you or yell at you. I mean, he was the sweetest. Um, but that was a terrifying moment for me on stage. 
Imagine oh. your life flashing before your eyes in that moment. Oh, man. It was horrible. Yeah. I mean, just at the worst possible time, you know. It and was... Jesus, you know, what he really meant when he said this to his disciples and it's, you know, it was just, it was a terrible moment. I'm sure uh, the drum my, mics are picking it up and oh, and, in full clarity, yeah, in Nashville, yeah. in Nashville, yeah, nice going, nice work, Milligan. Now was this um, the uh, was this the Nokia brick? So it just bounced and kept uh, kept ringing, or is I, this a more recent? Uh... <laughs> it was not an iPhone. This okay. was pre iPhone. Uh, yeah, it was probably like a it was a flip phone, I think. Yeah. Um. And I can't remember if it survived the incident or not. <laughs> it's, it's, that was a while ago. My other, uh, when you say worship fail, the other thing that comes to mind is uh, one time a friend of mine um, was leading worship at our church. And he said, you know, I kind of want to mix it. I think we had been to Ireland. We had been to Ireland on a trip. And he said, um, he said, well, I know you bought a bunch of tin whistles in Ireland. Can you play them? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm decent at them. I kind of understand how they work. And he said, well, can you, uh, want, let's play them in church. Let's play um, uh, Be Thou My Vision, hmm. the hymn Be Thou My Vision. Can you play that? And I thought, well, yeah, I could probably play that. I mean, it's not super complex. True. So... He says, great. Well, I'm going to play piano and you play tin whistle and we'll do it like during the offering, I think, or something like that. So I learn it on tin whistle. <laughs> and I mean, I'm just kind of barely there with it, you know, but I'm like, I can I can gut it out. You know, I can get up there and, and do this. And so the thing that I didn't account for is that when you get nervous, your breathing changes. Sure. Mm. And so you're, you know, when I'm just alone at home practicing Be Thou My Vision on this tin whistle, there's no pressure. Yeah. So I can kind of, you know, do it maybe four out of five times right. And that gave me enough, strangely, <laughs> that gave me enough assurance to try it in front of 500 people. So, um, so I go out. And I mean, as soon as I walk out there, I'm like, this is a bad idea. And the, you know, the kind of anxiety hormones mm -hmm. hit you and you like, and so I'm having like this anxiety light up on stage and, um, and my breathing changes and I'm, and Ooh. I feel it and I'm like, uh oh, but still I'm like, come on, man, come, you can do this. You can come through. So I get to this, like, I think it was the, Maybe the first verse, I get to the highest part, you know, the climax, the prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Mm -hmm. And I, and it just completely screws up. Like <laughs> I just hit a few of the most horrendous and it's just me and a piano. Board. Right. And there's it's no the hiding. vibrato. So like the, <laughs> oh, it's just, it's like, da, 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 da. it was just so <laughs> obvious. So then I, you know, the anxiety just ramps to 11 sure, and, and I have this kind of like, what should I do response? And I, then I just wanted to start laughing <laughs> and I had to keep myself from laughing. Cause I was like, this is just, 
this is absurd right. to the max. And so I just had a, a moment where I realized how absurd and hilarious it was. And um, I had to keep myself from laughing. And I just had to, you know, finish it out. I mean, I just had to own it. Yeah. And then your horrible. cell phone started going off again, right? <laughs> oh man, that would have been that would have been the icing. <laughs> yeah, for I, sure. I thought because is it the tin whistle or penny whistle are those the same? They're similar to harmonica and they're keyed. Is that correct? Yeah, they're keyed. Yeah, so that's where I thought the story was going to go. That you know you had your B flat, you know, tin whistle, and he was playing Ooh. in C, and you know or be natural or something. And, and yeah, how do you recover from that? If you... Yeah. And then when I came in, it was like a half step off. <laughs> yeah. So there's no cable yeah. for a tin whistle, right? No, no, not, not that I'm aware of. So mm. that's fun, but you've lived to tell the tale, which, uh, I yeah, lived. just always, yeah. uh, is always the lesson in it. But, uh, so when you're, when you're going on stage now, what do you do with your cell phone? Is it, do you, you have like a, a a pelican that with like sound deadening in it that uh, you keep it in or it's i mean it's definitely on silent you know i keep my cell phone on silent at all times i never turn it it never rings for yeah. for anything yeah no I'm, I'm the same way but uh i what... check my alarms though you know how you can set alarms in iphone mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah i've had that go off on stage sure um I, i've had the misfortune of um i have a, a, a smart watch i guess you call it whatever it's a, a garmin watch and uh, there was an alarm set on it and I was in the middle of, of playing a gig and it would go off and it wasn't like a regular alarm that like shuts off, um, you know, after 30 seconds or whatever. It's, it went off, you know, 12 bars into a song Ooh. and just buzzed, you know, and it's my fret hand. So it's just like buzzing the whole, uh. time, the whole song. And I'm trying to like find a, find a, st- at one point I did try to like hit it cause you can just touch the face of it to turn it off. And I'm like, it looks like probably somebody in the audience probably thought I was trying to finger tap on an acoustic guitar because I'm trying to smack my <laughs> wrist to get it off. Oh, and yeah. It was, just, it, of course, only I could. It was only bothering me, but it was it was such an annoyance. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it, that's fun. Oh, all right. So um, kind of leading into the main. Soundbrunner was born, right? Yeah, exactly. What's the beat buddy? No, what's the. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. Or the what's the, the one thing that, you wear on your back? Yeah, but for the yeah for the the kick drum. Yeah. So, um, the, have you ever used one of those? Is it called the back backbeat? Backbeat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think back. Beat Buddy is like a, a pedal that makes drum loops or something. Yeah, yeah. backbeat. Yeah. Have you ever used one of those, Brent, as a bass player? Um, I've tried it out. Yeah. yeah. Is it it's super cool? Is it okay? I've always kind of wondered if it was just gimmicky or if it actually like, you know. No, I would say. I would say it's it's a real piece of gear. I mean, um, it's nice if you're in a situation where you can't, you know, really feel the kick drum sure. or, or your bass and you want to. It's great for that. Which in the world of everything being direct is probably way more common than, you mm-hmm. know, in the church setting, every, you know, everything's direct. So, yeah. Nice. All right. So leading into our, our main topic here, uh, we kind of have our own myers-briggs personality test we're just going to ask you a, a brief series of uh you know a b questions what are you know sharing your preferences so first okay. one uh, do you prefer coffee or tea uh i don't drink coffee so that's got to be a tea i don't okay. really drink either i, I do occasionally drink a, a tea because my wife's really into it gotcha all right and she'll make me tea uh chocolate or vanilla chocolate all right morning or night more uh night Chick-fil-A or Popeye's? Chick-fil-A. 
No, I think you've you've probably been around the country enough. So In and Out or Whataburger? In and Out. Ooh, all right. Um In Ears or Wedges? In Ears. Okay. Which leads us to our uh our main topic. So sneaky um, segue, there you go. I we there's some planning that goes into this. Um, <laughs> so we see this topic come up a lot, but the whole idea of um you know, in ear monitors and what people can get and you know, we're we're trying to do a kind of a series of podcasts of of budget versus brand um you know there's a lot these days there's a lot of budget gear out there um for good bad or indifferent um you know we did one on electric guitar gear a couple weeks ago and um you know we want to talk about in-ears because it's it's one the electric guitar is obviously very specific to electric guitar players but in-ears you know it affects everybody and um you know the price point of of this gear now has really you know lowered that barrier of entry so that the the question is coming up is I think especially as these churches are hitting 15 20 25 years on their their PA for modern worship you know it's hey we want to get to in years do we need to spend fill in the blank to get a you know our in ear system and you've uh, you've had some experience um with these so we we wanted to get your your thoughts and your opinions on it um and I guess just to kind of to set the stage for you know, give everybody context, you know, maybe we could all just share briefly what, what types of in-ears and what brands we've used. Um, so, I mean, I'll start, I've used um, the budget KZ, you know, kind of a, a, a various assortment of them. I've used Shure Universals and I have a, a pair of custom all clairs. So I've kind of, to some extent, run the gamut of, um, you know, budget to um, not super high end, but, you know, the, the custom end. So uh, Sam, what are you using? These days. Um, I started with the KZ ZST um, as my entry level, and now I'm up to the KZ AS10, I believe, is okay. the, the current model that I'm using. But um, yeah, my budget never was very large for that, so sure. so I was kind of forced to do that, but it works for me. Yeah. And Brent, what have, uh, what have you used over your career as far as uh, brands and, and styles? Um, well, the, I mean, the first day I walked or not one of the first days I walked into Michael W. Smith rehearsals in the nineties, they fitted us for in-ears okay. and mm-hmm. in-ears were new then. We, I did, I had never heard of them. Uh, but those were, um, uh, what, what was the brand? Um, they weren't West Tone. Uh, ult- what are the other big brands? Um, ultimate Ears, All Claire. I think they were Ultimate. Okay. Yeah, I, I think, think they've they been were, around a while. Yeah, I think they were Ultimate. Um, so I used those for, shoot, uh, years. I mean, probably five, seven, ten years. I don't remember. A while. Um, and then a guy introduced me to uh, somebody from West Tone and I got some West Tones. I went through two pairs of West Tones, which were great. Those were customs um, as well. Those were molds. Yeah. Um, and when those, I think I stepped on my last pair of West Tones, cool. stepped on one of them. Uh, and, and that's when I kind of, said to myself, well, rather than do the, the molds thing, I, I need a solution really quick. So, um, I think I maybe ordered a pair of those KZs. Hmm. Um, 
And once I started using those, I think I first got the ZSTs, the mm -hmm. super cheap, yep. the yep. absolute cheapest ones. And I did a gig with them and I was like, man, that just really was not that bad. Mm. You know, that was $30 in and mm -hmm. that was, that totally worked. So, um, so I used those, I don't know, not very long, but I, um, but I decided that maybe I would explore the upper, you know, getting some better KZs because I thought if these old ZSTs are, you know, are not bad, I wonder if I spent, you know, 60 bucks on some. So I got, um, whatever the $50, I think they might be the ones you were talking about. Okay. Sam, the, the AS10. AS10. Yeah. Um, well, let me see. I've got them right here. Yeah. AS10. Awesome. That's what they are. Um, so I bought some of those and, and got an upgraded cable and got upgraded tips and um, started playing gigs. And, and I used some Sure Universals, which were mm -hmm. great. Um, but I don't know. I mean, the AS10s. The, the thing that kicked it for me was that when I had molds, when I had the expensive molds you know you've paid all this money for them and for me i would take them everywhere mm -hmm. i would not get on a plane without my molds mm -hmm. you know or, or go on vacation without my molds i had them with me all the time because they were my favorite way to listen to music mm. um but the downside of that is that if you're you know for somebody as add as i am when you're keeping them around all the time, you're likely to lose them. You're likely to step on them. Um, you know, they're, they're just likely to be in the bottom of your bag, getting, you know, crushed by your laptop over and over. I mean, did, did I just, I tried to take care of them, but it's, you know, it's kind of a rough and tumble life for in-ears sure. in, in my world. So I was always worried about them. Hmm. And I was always worried about breaking them. I was always worried about them going out. I was always worried about losing them. I did lose them a couple of times. And, you know, I would lose them for like one time I lost my West Tones for like two months. Mm -hmm. And then I finally found them again. Um, but that whole two months I was worried and I and bummed out about it, mad at myself. So um, so when I started playing these shows with KZs, one of the things I realized is I'm not worried about the KZs. Hmm. And it, I was, I was always worried about my expensive in-ears. And so having cheap in-ears that sound really, you know, almost as good as the molds I was used to. I mean, you have to be honest, they for me, they don't sound as good as an expensive pair of molds. Okay. I mean, it's an expensive pair of molds sounds phenomenal. Right. And they're um, built just for your ears. Like they're built literally. just for your ears. I mean, they're, they're just, it's really hard to stack up to that. Um, but I can put these KZs in my ears. They sound really, really good. They give me everything I need sonically to, you know, to do a gig and enjoy it. And not think about, you know, I'm not thinking about the audio quality or anything. I mean, it's really, it's 
super good. Sure. Um, but the other thing is when I take them off, I'm not worried about them because yep. I have multiple pairs. I mean, they're $50 a pair. So I'm like, I'm just going to buy a few pairs and I'll keep one in my studio. I'll keep one in my car. Um, you know, maybe I'll keep one in my, in my cello case. Um, you know, because I, that's with me on most gigs. Um, so I just kind of have them spread out again. I'm so ADD. I lose things. I misplace things on the regular. Right. So I have to, I have to build my life around that reality. And part of building my life around that reality has been buying multiple pairs of these KZs and just keeping them spread out. There's a pair in my bathroom um, because, you know, I have to be in the bathroom getting ready to either leave home to go play in town or leave home to go get on a bus. I have to look at those when I'm leaving my house. Hmm. Like and <laughs> yeah. So I have to, right. And I have to ask myself the question, do you have your in-ears with you? Because right. I'm sitting there looking at them. So, um, where you don't have five pairs of customs. I, right, exactly. I mean, that would be prohibitive. So, um, so that's been the benefit. The benefit for me has been that I can have multiple pairs. Um, and, the, ben the other huge benefit for me has been that they don't take up any of my brain cells. Mm -hmm. Whereas the other in-ears did, there was a little corner of my brain that was occupied with worrying about where are your in-ears? Do you know where they are right now? And are they, are you going to step on them or do anything other, you know, anything else to compromise those very expensive in-ears? So, those few brain cells that I used to constantly worry about my in-ears are now free sure. to worry about something else. Mm -hmm. All I can think and, of is the, uh, you know, the voice in your brain saying it's 10 PM. Do you know where your in-ears are? But yeah. Like, <laughs> so yeah. our younger listeners may not get that reference, but <laughs> yeah, but every day, I, literally every day, a thought would pass through my head where you're in it. Yeah. Where are they? Interesting. And, and they, that just doesn't, I don't think about it anymore. And that's why I use, that's the main reason that I use KZs. Yeah. So um, you've, you've basically switched over completely. I mean, that's your, the AS10 is your primary, secondary and tertiary uh, pair the, at this point. Yeah, that's all I own. Nice. Okay. Awesome. So, you know, be, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but fair to say, I mean, the hype around the budget in years. And, and obviously, you know, we're all talking about the KZ brand specifically. I know CCA is another common um budget option but uh, you know the, it's legitimate hype is that fair to say i mean there there's a value there i would say there's a value there yeah okay i, I mean for my for my money they do what they say they're going to do and they are um i mean i've done i don't know how many shows and tours with them at this point so um are they, you know, I don't know if they're pro gear or not, hmm. but they're, they're pro for me. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I know you're at with Matt Marr recently. If, if Matt called you or Michael W. Smith called you up tomorrow and said, Hey, uh, 60 dates over the next 75 days, you pack your gear. You'd have no qualms about throwing a pair, maybe two pair and, you know, in your, 
your bag. I mean, I've I've played with Matt. I've played with Michael. I've played with Stephen Curtis. I've played with all of them with these KZs for you know many shows. Yeah. So no, I have no qualms about using the KZs as my main in ears. Okay. Nice. I come do play think with us on Sunday. Hey, fly me up. Sounds good. Um, I I do think that it's important for me to have a few pairs of them on the road. And I do. I don't bring one pair of KZs on the road with me. Um, they're $50 in-ears. I don't trust them at that level. Mm-hmm. You know, when I would go on the road with the West Tones, I mean, the West Tones are are top-notch, and I trusted them gig after gig after gig, and I know they're not going to go south. I did have a cable go south on me, the West Tones, hmm. uh, which we fixed very quickly. But um, but I have multiple pairs of the KZs with me on the road in case they fail, uh, which, again, is just a convenience of them being $50. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, sometimes I think for, uh, for the Matt Marr shows, maybe I think I just bought a new pair hmm. just to know that I was, you know, putting fresh in-ears in my ears. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I'll occasionally do things like that. If Steven's got, um, you know, if Steven Curtis has like 30 shows or something like that, well, Hey, buy a new $50 pair of in-ears. That's right. really not going to kill you. Um, so I'll occasionally do that, but that's just so great to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I put those upgraded tips on, I, I buy the upgraded cable and they've been, they've, they've totally delivered. Nice. Another thing I like about that lower price point is it's a lot more friendly for a church budget. Like I can sure. get the whole team, you know, all eight to 10 of us. Uh, you know, a pair of KZs and that fits within our music ministry budget. Right. Yeah. And that what's really cool is if you all have the KZs and somebody's having trouble getting their personal mix, you could plug into their mix, dial in a good sounding mix, and then they're hearing the exact same thing because they have the exact same in it. Get that right. apples to apples. Yeah. So, you know, and Brandon, I mean, it, obviously you you've kind of done the, the reverse Genesis of, of in years where I think a lot of people, you know, start with a budget option and, and, you know, the goal is to get to a, you know, a custom mold at some point. I mean, that, that's what I personally did. Um, and, and I, I guess I did it for the comfort reason, you know, playing for 20 minutes on a Sunday morning, the Casey's worked great for me. Um, you know, there'd be times where I'd be playing for 90 minutes to two hours and I would get ear fatigue. So I guess two questions. Did you ever run into anything similar where playing longer shows you, um, and I know that's a very, it's a very personal question based on the, the style of KZ that you're wearing and, you know, the, the shape of your ear. Our anatomy is obviously all slightly different in that respect. But, um, you know, is there a reason why someone should move from a budget option to a, a higher end, whether it be a, a, a yeah. universal but brand name like sure or i know west tone makes a universal al claire makes a universal um where do you see that fitting in for you know the, the church musician yeah that's a really good question um well again for 
from my particular perspective, uh, even if I was playing in church every Sunday, I might likely stick with the KZs just mm-hmm. because of what it, you know, because I don't worry about them. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're not prone to worry about your in-ears, uh, which is probably most people, um, if I played in church every Sunday or almost every Sunday and we had a rehearsal and I spent a lot, a lot of time with in-ears in my ears, I would think about molds. Um, molds are, you know, the highest evolution of this, mm-hmm. of the in-ears. Um, good molds. The, the last pair of West tones I had were just, they were phenomenal. They were like reference quality. I mean, you could mix a record on those things. Okay. Um, they were, they were beautiful. They fit well. Uh, and I'm sure I, you know, I've heard great things about all Claire and 64. And I mean, I've heard, so, so I think there's a lot of companies that really have their inner thing dialed in pretty well. Um, it's, you know, if you're, if you're not prone to worry and you want to spend the money and you just need that. Um, I mean, I think it's different for me though, because I'm not a singer really. Mm, okay. So for, for somebody who's up front singing and leading, I got to go with molds for that hmm. because you know, the, the KZs, I don't know about you, Sam, but mine will occasionally one near will pop out. I mean, it's pretty rare. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe a couple times a year I'll have one, you know, kind of like start feeling loose and I'll have to yeah. reach up and push it. Back yeah, I'll in. move my head and the, and the cable starts disconnecting from the earbud. <laughs> I've okay. had that happen. Um, and that kind of stuff doesn't really happen with molds. So, um, you know, for, for those who, who just, who are up front singing and, and something like that would be a disaster, then I, I think molds are probably the way to go. And gosh, if I spent, if I spent more than three or four hours a week with in-ears in all the time, I would go with molds. Okay. But I don't really, uh, you know, I don't play live that much. Um, I do a lot of studio stuff. And so I don't wear in-ears in the studio. Gotcha. Um, Sometimes I do. The only time I wear in-ears in the studio is if I'm doing a really soft acoustic guitar track and the click is bleeding. Okay. I will put my in-ears in. Sure. Because click doesn't bleed very well with in ears. You have to have it cranked. <laughs> um, so um, another, you were saying ear fatigue, and that brings up another thing for me. I don't turn my in ears up very loud. Sure. Okay. Because well, um, for me, it was more of the physical, I, I think, in, in my limited experience, I think the shape of, and probably a different pair of KZs would have fit better, but it was actually the physical shape. It would almost be like soreness. Uh, yeah. You know, where the, where the ears would go in, but yeah. But yeah, I, I think um, that is a good point though, that if the volume you're running at, you know, I mean, that can, that can be an issue no matter what you're using. And I think that's an important yeah safety tip and best practice for, you know, we can maybe talk about, talk about the mix in a, in a few minutes here, but, but yeah, not running and not cranking up everything as, you know, less is more when it comes to an in-ear mix for sure. Your ears 
remarkably, I've found when you turn your in-ears to the point where you can hear everything, but it doesn't sound very loud and you want to turn it up, I make myself keep it there Mm -hmm. because in about 30 to 60 seconds, your ears will adjust and all of a sudden you're fine. Yeah. Interesting. And so, um, I noticed early when I started using in-ears, you want to crank them because it feels amazing. Uh, but then your ears are ringing after a show. And right. that's when I noticed that, I thought, you know, I'd really like to be able to hear when I'm <laughs> 60. So, um, And flies in the face of why, you know, in-ears are in some ways the superior option that if you're you're trying to protect your hearing using them not to not further damage I, it. So. Yeah. Or, or, you know, the people who take one ear out. Yeah. And, you know, apparently that's very dangerous. I've never really been tempted to do that. Um, but yeah, I run my inners very, I run it just loud enough to where I can hear the click. Okay. So they're, they're pretty low. And what is, I mean, while we're on that topic, what is your, obviously we don't have audio of it, but what does your mix sound like when you're building your in-ear mix, you're on a new tour, so you don't have a a save scene to, to pull up and, and run with. How are you building uh, how are you building your in-ear mix typically? Um, that's a good question. I need to hear the drums. Um, so I make sure I can hear kick and snare. Um, and then I get the click loud enough to where I can hear the click pretty well. But then when the drummer comes in, he's sort of blending you know, the drummer's blending with the click. Okay. Um, sometimes the click will disappear if the drummer's really on the click. Um, so I start with that, and then I turn bass up, obviously, to a point where I, I can hear it along with the drums, sure. and then lead vocal. Okay. Um, what I don't have loud in my mix a lot of times is kind of ancillary stuff like i mean i wouldn't i probably wouldn't have the electric guitar super loud uh, i wouldn't have the worship leaders acoustic guitar super loud i mean they're they're in my mix i can hear them but what i can mainly hear is drums and bass and the lead vocal okay because the lead vocal is what's guiding me right um through the song nice that's good yeah, advice man. for especially yeah. rhythm, you know, bass player getting in lockstep with the drums and, and all that. So, yeah, my, my concept for my in-ear mix is, I mean, I, if I look around me on stage and there's seven people, my goal is not to get, not to be able to hear all seven people. Okay. I don't really care about hearing all of them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I care. I, I really need to care about hearing only the things that I need to hear to, you know, to play my best. And that for me, that's drums, bass, lead vocal, and then a little bit of the other people. Sure. Yeah. You still want that experience of being in the band, being with the band, but yeah. 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 And then if somebody else pivots or does something interesting, I want to respond to that. I want to hear it. Yeah. Um, But occasionally if there's two keyboard players and one person's playing pads, I'll be like, I don't need to hear pads. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. You All know, due respect to the keys players out there. But yeah, yeah I mean, they contribute so much, but there's just things that I don't you know. Um, maybe 
I've probably changed on that through the years. I've probably pared down what's in my mix to the, you know, to the basics through the years because I like my inner mix to be pretty simple. Mm-hmm. If there's too many things, it's just more, more opportunity for things to, you know, for my, for my crucial elements, my drums, my click, my bass, for those to get lost. Yeah. Now with, more... with not having those other instruments, how do you know that you're all in tune together? Do they tune to you or does everybody just trust, trust their, their tuner on their pedal board? Um, I don't really think about tuning, but that, I mean, that got, that's a really good question. I think, um, my bass does not go out of tune for some reason. So, um, it's just super, like, I can pull it out of the case and play a gig with it and then realize halfway through the gig, oh, I never checked my tuning. It just <laughs> never, it's weird. It That's never crazy. goes out of tune. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, I do check my tuning, uh, you know, 99 times out of 100, but a lot of times it's, Right it's there. already in tune when I take it out. Okay. Um, yeah, I think I think if I was playing something like acoustic guitar, which you tune all the time and mm. tends to go out of tune, yeah, um, I would probably be hyper aware of, you know, I'd probably have it loud enough in my in ears where I could really tell pretty quickly, um, you know, if I was out of tune. Yeah, those Another G and B strings are notorious. Oh, they're the worst. Ugh. Um, on the, on the rare occasion that I play electric guitar in church, I started bringing, I, uh, I have this Les Paul that has this bridge on it called Evertune. Hmm. Um, go on YouTube and search Evertune bridge. And they installed this non-electronic bridge on, it's this company called Evertune and they make this bridge and the guitar literally never goes out of tune. You can stick a capo on it and it's perfectly in tune. You can break a string and it's perfectly in tune. Wow. Um, I mean, it's the most insane thing. So this, this band I was working with showed me this YouTube video and I thought, if this is for real, I got to have one of these. So I watched some more YouTube videos and I ended up, uh, ordering the bridge and putting it on a Les Paul of mine. And I'm telling you, it's like playing a keyboard. Wow. Dang. It never goes, my Les Paul. I can make an entire record with that Les Paul and never check my tuning. Hmm. That's fascinating. I'm definitely going to look that up. It's ridiculous. I mean, day after day, no matter what you do, it stays in tune. And the great thing is if you're in normal E tuning and you suddenly want a capo, you know, halfway up the neck for, for one song, you just drop that capo and the guitar is perfectly in tune in your new capo position. It's does it... it's, these guys have invented, they have bottled lightning and nobody knows about it. Yeah. And the great thing about playing in church, when I the, the reason I bring it when I play in church is because you've got all these musicians, maybe some of them are pros, maybe some of them aren't, maybe some of them are better at staying in tune, some of them aren't so good at staying in tune. Um, and th- there's, there's always something squirrely, you know, <laughs> right. it seems like. Yeah. And the, the, Le, the Evertune bridge, when I play it in church, it gives me the ability when I hear something out of tune, I don't flip out and go, it must be you. Hmm. Ah. 
or, or I don't flip out and go, I wonder if it's you. Sure. Like when I hear something out of tune, I know it's not me. Nice. And it, you know, it's, it gives you the ability to kind of look around at everybody else and go, who's out? Because <laughs> you know, you just know it's not One, two, you. Three, not it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but it's crazy to be able to have that level of confidence on an electric guitar. Yeah. Right? Does it and work? Re- does it work with like a, a Bigsby or a tremolo arm or, or? No, I don't think so. Okay. It's, I mean, it's a pretty serious install. Okay. Uh, they kind of have to carve up your guitar a little bit to, gotcha, to okay. get the Evertune on there. Uh, so I, you know, I sacrificed this Les Paul, uh, any kind of, I mean, not that it would have ever had any vintage value or anything, but right. I mean, it, the install of the bridge is, it it's takes some, yeah. it's a process. I had a local luthier install it for me. Gotcha. Um, so I, so you, I mean, you do have to go through that. There are guitars you can buy with the Evertune on the guitar. But I mean, shout out to, I don't know who invented this thing. But yeah, you're going to have to look it up and maybe put a link in the, uh, in the show notes. Cause that's, I, this is the first I've heard of it though. I'm intrigued. Save your money it's, on in-ears and go get an Evertune. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is, it is the coolest invention. Huh. Um, once you get used to it and figure out, cause a lot of guys go, well, now I can't bend the strings. Cause when I bend the strings, it doesn't bend. You can take your string and like bend it and the string doesn't change pitch. Wow. But, but you can, you can set it to where it will. Okay. And once you learn how to get it all dialed in, it's just the most insane, wonderful thing. And especially for playing in church, because you just play your whole set and you never think about tuning. You're just never out of tune. And the other weird thing is if you fret a chord funny, and normally, you know, you're pulling a string and normally that would be out of tune. Yeah. It's not out of tune. It's in tune. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, you heard I it play here like first you. on the sloppy unforeseen <laughs> podcast. Yeah. I mean, it's, these guys have bottled lightning. Wow. It's absolute magic. It's beautiful. Yeah. I started, uh, my old church, I started leading from electric periodically and being an acoustic player for so many years. Yeah. I, I had to go to some pretty heavy strings on my telly because I would never think that much about. Hey, mashing, what's my hand doing? Mashing down on it, yeah. Yeah, and I, yeah, and it would be. Yeah. I I hear it like, oh, is that me? And if I'm on electric, I'm like, yeah, it's probably me. I gotta like, and I'd find myself have to pay way more attention to my playing than my singing and my leading, and so I I had to, so huh, so I'm intrigued. I made a note here. I'm gonna I am gonna link that uh, in the show notes because uh, yeah, so. I'm all about things that eliminate worry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We all have so many things to worry about in our lives. And if you can eliminate a couple, that's a big one for me. Right. Which, you know, you've heard me talk about the in-ears, eliminating the worry of that. The Evertune eliminates the worry of tuning and being out of tune. Well, and eliminating distractions during leading worship, you know, because it it may or may not be a distraction for the congregation because who's going to hear that you're five cents flat on, you know, 12 frets up the neck. Um, but the people playing with you and it is all of a sudden that, you know, Chase, Hey, whose cell phone is ringing? Oh, it's fine. You know, (laughs) it's the, you know, it's, it's, it is trying to figure out, you know, where's that coming from because it's distracting the people on stage platform, you know, that are, that are leading. So that's, uh, that's gold. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. So, and a lot of times the vocalists find their pitch from the instruments, right? Especially the yeah. bass yes. and, and well, the vocals yeah. all, they're all running through, you know, uh, 
uh, Waves plugins for Auto Tune anyway. Not I don't know. Really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. It, and the thing is, if they are being tuned in the house, then you being out of tune on your guitar is even more highlighting. Yeah. I mean, now we're running tracks that are perfectly in tune. Um, your keys are all perfectly in tune. Basses don't really go out of tune. So that, you know, that one acoustic or electric that's all of a sudden squirrely, it's just, it's more highlighted. I've, right. I've really enjoyed how the Evertune, you know, kind of allows me to fit into more modern. I mean, the modern context is way more in tune than it was you know, a long time ago. I mean, we, we were used to tolerating things being a little wider tuning wise right. way back. Um, not so much anymore. And sure. I think the Evertune is a, is great gear for that modern context. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting point because it is that expectation now with perfect recording, you know, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, yeah. and everybody's expecting Sunday morning and, and wherever, you know, it used to be, you go hear live music and there was just an expectation that, Hey, it's not the record and it's going to sound yeah. different. It's going to sound raw. It's going to sound organic. And now yeah. there's almost that little bit of cringe factor. Cause it's like, well, you know, there's, there's people up there playing, not robots. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, so, um, again, I, I'd love to say, Hey, can we just educate our, our congregation that we're going to be a little more, you know, uh, I don't want to say authentic, but organic and, and crunchy with our, you know, cause it's, we're playing it live, but, but yeah, to, again, to take away that distraction and to deliver that experience that people have come to expect, um, you know, in there. Yeah. So it's, that's interesting. So not a, not a tangent that I was expecting today, but I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm glad we, we went off that way. Um, yeah. So kind of circling back to, um, to KZs and then the, the, the budget options and, and you, tr- you know, tour with a couple, if you're going out, you have a couple around the house and, you know, even being on a, a Sunday morning, we have the benefit. We're not out on a tour. If a, if a pair breaks on Sunday, we can you know get on Amazon and have another pair the next day that, you know, two days later, whatever it is, uh, it hurts in the moment, but it's easy to fix that. Um, but, um, you mentioned kind of the the reliability. I'm just thinking of why would somebody get a pair of Shure or Westone Universals over KZ? I mean, the biggest reason I could think of is the brand reliability. I mean, you know, the Shure 215s are a hundred bucks. They're twice the price of the the AS10s. Are they twice the in year? I mean, what do you guys think? I don't know. If, you know, is it? Is it worth twice the money if for no other reason than Shore has been around a long time? You know, um, they make a reliable product, but is that is that worth it? I don't think they sound. I mean, I would say they're equal. Okay. Um, they might be built a little more solidly. Um, I mean, the the Shore Universals definitely have a solid feel to me but it's not a it's not a game changer for me in terms of buying them over the kz's yeah i think the uh the grammar in the sure instruction manual would be more correct than the (laughs) than the kz description but (laughs) that's the only difference i know i i haven't used the sures but 
Yeah. Well, and Brent, if, if you were, you know, uh, you know, death is not an option. You can only take one pair out. You can't have a backup. Would you take your KZs or your shore universals? Um, Um, I mean, you think the fact that you're thinking about it, I think that speaks a lot to, you know, the reliability and, and your experience with the KZs, but I am curious to know where you'd land. I mean, I played on the Caleb awards a couple of weeks ago and, you know, I walked on stage with Bart Millard and Mac Powell and Matthew West and Stephen Curtis Chapman and a full band and KZs. All right. Boom. Yeah, I think that's yeah, a lot. how was that. How was that experience being being there with those guys? Um, it was super fun. Um, you know, just great guys. You know, I again, I mean, I just pinch myself all the time. Going, it's you know, I can't believe I get to live in you know, in a world where I, where I know those guys and, and, um, it's just, but it was, it was fun. Uh, it was also, it was pretty high pressure, mm-hmm. I would say. Uh, cause we were playing a medley of Stephen Curtis songs and, um, I think Bart started and then, uh, Matt, Mac came in and then I think Matthew, no, it was Bart and then Matthew and then Mac and then Stephen came out and, you know, so, uh, I, I mean, I felt a lot of pressure hmm. for sure. Yeah. So you were the house band for the, the night. Yeah. And I had sort of, um, you know, sort of MD'd it, I guess a little, uh, and so I just, you know, I felt a lot of pressure, but, uh, you know, all the other players were were great, so I didn't really have a lot of anxiety about whether they were going to nail it. Yeah. You know? Well, and at the top uh, two, you had said that you didn't audition for, or you didn't get a lot of auditions. Is this something that you auditioned no. for? Or they they just knew you as as a solid player and somebody that had done well, the work. I've played for Stephen. I've played for Stephen Curtis for a long time. Um, you know, just he and I go way back. So, um, he just called me one day and said, Hey, I'm doing the K love awards and, and, you know, Matthew and Bart and Mac Powell are involved. And, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to make this medley of songs and, you know, we need to talk about who plays and, and, um, you know, figure that out. And, you know, would you, he kind of asked me, would you, you know, um, make sure the tracks are all straight and kind of, you know, spearheaded. And so, um, so, you know, I just, I felt a little more responsibility, but yeah, going into that situation, you know, whether it's, I mean, that's about as high pressure in my world live as, as I would get. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, I mean, I don't play for, for Adele, you know, right. if I was walking on stage with Adele, I might feel more pressure, but, um, you know, in, in my world, that's about as high pressure as, as I've come across and, you know, walking on with my KZs. 
Yeah, I think that brings us back. One of the points I wanted to make earlier, and you know, in your in your career, that relationship has gotten you much farther than talent. And I know you are a very skilled player, so it's not you can't be a hack and just be a nice guy and yeah. and make it happen. But um, you know, would you? I mean, was that a a fair statement? I think that's a fair statement. And I, I, I think that's critical, you know, in the church environment, you know, if you're, if you're the leader, especially, you know, your relationship with your people, you know, is going to get you so much farther than, you know, your talent, your ability. And if you're, if you're listening to this, and you're not leading, you want to play on the team. You know, I think it's important to remember, man, you can, you can nail every scale in the book. Um, but if you're a jerk, you might not get that assignment for, you know, for Sunday morning because, yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a life lesson. I think we could do a whole podcast just on that, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you really could. And, and just quickly, I mean, living in Nashville, you're surrounded by great players sure. and um, you know, the people who can't get along with others who can play great will quickly get replaced with somebody who can play great <laughs> and get along with others right. mm-hmm. um, because there's just so many. So the competition here um, is, is so high. But the the upshot of that is that a lot of the people who, you know, who end up playing for, you know, whoever for a decent amount of time, I mean, it kind of it kind of weeds out the jerks hmm. in, in a natural way to have so much competition, so that um, a lot of the people you end up hanging around are just are really wonderful people. Nice, awesome, very cool. Real quick, I just want to touch on because I think we we need to come back to this topic on a later episode. But you know, the other half of the in year conversation is you know wired versus wireless. Can we do budget wireless options, or do we need to do the brand? I mean, do you have any experience with with that part of the conversation, Brent? Other than you know, I don't have any experience with cheap wireless in years. Okay. Um, I play with uh, I play with wireless in ears pretty regularly, mm-hmm. but they I think they're I they're not mine. The wireless system is not mine, but they're you know like pro touring level sure uh, wireless systems. So I think they're pretty solid. Um, I I do occasionally play wired as well, um, which I don't mind at all. I don't move around a ton. Sure. And, um, you don't have any dropouts or weirdness, so I'll take wired. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about backline, you know, drums, bass, keys. Um, I mean, is there a necessity for wired? Cause I, I think that's the big, big part of the question when you're talking about budget, if you're trying to fit eight players with wireless, you know, even the, I mean, I'm not running around the stage, right. so mm-hmm. I don't need a wireless really. There's no advantage to me for being wireless. Sure. Uh, other than, you know, when I'm wired and I walk off stage and I forget to unplug that, <laughs> that can get awkward. Can I've we, done that. Can we get video of that? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, there probably is video. I think everybody listening to this that's used wired has experienced that. Yeah. Yeah. You forget to unplug yep. and your little, your aviom or whatever is sitting on a mic stand and you pull it over and it crashes. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done that a bunch of times. So the advantage is that doesn't happen right. with wireless. But that's the only advantage that I've encountered. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I've played both wired and wireless and, and leading. I mean, I always like the freedom of wireless. Um, but yeah, you don't have dropouts wired, you know, no matter where or you are static on stage. Or, yeah. Right, right. Our yeah, interference, all that. Yeah. Yeah. But it I mean, I, th- I think maybe a, a takeaway from this would be if you're if you're outfitting your church with in-ears for the first time or doing a, a system upgrade, you know, getting your team the budget in-ears, you know, KZ or CCA, if you have I don't have personal experience with them, but I've heard good things, you know, you might be able to save the money on the actual ears to outfit your front line, three or four people with some decent, you know, Sennheiser makes their ex- excess the letters uh, excess uh, wireless system. They have a, I think a $600 um, wireless system. Cause I've used, I have used some of those budget, you know, Amazon wires. I don't own them, but I've, I've played at places that have them and it was a pretty awful experience. So, mm. <laughs> uh, which I, I was thankful for cause I was, I had heard some good things and I was considering getting them. And then I, I happened to, to try them out and uh, yeah, never again. I've noticed more difference, honestly, between uh wire from between the the systems okay. avion uh allen and heath makes one hereback mm. makes one behringer makes um, the p16 behringer yep. makes yep. that the one they make i mean i notice a bigger difference in those okay. in the in the system i notice a difference in the soundboards i mean right. some people are using let's say a behringer and some people are using a midas or a, i don't know something high end mm-hmm. i notice a bigger difference in my in-ears uh on the you know basically the converters mm-hmm. the digital converters that everybody's if if you're using a behringer board then everything's being converted to digital by that behringer board right i notice a bigger difference in that and you know as opposed to like a high-end board than i do switching in here yeah, yeah and talk- then the we- same for the system the delivery system, the right. Behringer or the Avion, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked about that in an earlier episode is, is getting the best quality you can afford as early in the signal chain as possible. Cause that's going to make, yeah. it's a cascade effect down the line where yeah, you could have your 12 channel, all clear customs in, but if you're running, I don't want to you know, throw shade on any brand, but if you're running a junkie console and cheap, you know, uh, personal mixers or or cheap wireless you know systems yeah you're you're sending garbage into the ears it's going to come out as garbage you can't blame your $1200 in ear monitors on that so there's there's an entire chain before it gets to your in ears right. that has to be that really needs to be right for your in ears to sound right yeah absolutely Fantastic. Well, Brent, uh, we're coming up on time. So we do have um, two last questions for you, but I just wanted to uh, uh, be remiss if I didn't thank you already, because I think there's some some great stuff in here and hopefully our listeners uh, had some good takeaways from it. But um, if you don't mind, before we let you go, what is the best worship leading advice you've ever heard? The best worship leading advice I've ever heard probably comes from uh, a friend of mine down in Louisiana named Jonathan Stockstill. Hmm. And he said, when you hit oil, stop drilling. Hmm. That's good stuff. That's good stuff for life. Yeah. I mean, that's just good stuff. Yeah. So, um, you know, sometimes I, I mean, that runs through my head sometimes when, you know, when you hit something good and you think, well, how can I make it be- just stop drilling? Yeah. 
you've hit oil, you know, and, and he would use that in a worship context when, when he would, uh, you know, get to a part of a song or play a song that really, you know, uh, that there was a response to, he was very likely to, to sit in that and, you know, not switch songs or, mm-hmm. or, um, so when he, he was always looking for that oil as a worship leader. And when he would hit it, he would, he would really maximize it in a great way. Nice. Great worship leader. Fantastic. All right. And our final question, are you uh team sloppy or team unforeseen? He's thinking about this one too. <laughs> I'm probably going to go with sloppy. All right. We, it, it, it's almost, I think it's a, a clean sweep so far. On, I believe on this so. Season. Yeah. So, sloppy. A lot of, a lot of sloppy. sloppy. I don't, I don't have a problem with sloppy. Yeah. Let's get, I mean. That's, yeah. That's awesome. Well, Brent, you know, I know you said playing a gig in the Northeast is a, a rarity, but if you are ever up here, uh, you'd love to, uh, I was going to say buy you coffee, but that wouldn't go very far, but, uh, yeah, we'll, <laughs> Well, <laughs> you can buy me chocolate. I eat a lot of chocolate. There you go. I was going to say uh, we could meet up for caramels because that's about as arbitrary yeah. as drinking coffee. And if you get yeah. that movie reference, then uh, <laughs> hit me up and we'll, we'll chat. But, um, but thank you so much for, uh, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we hope to talk to you again down the road. Yeah. Glad to. Thanks guys. Great to meet you, Brent. Thank you. You, you too. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Sloppy and Unforeseen podcast. We had such a great time with this episode, and we hope that you'll follow us and that you'll leave us a a kind review. That would be really great. And yeah, if you want to reach out to us, send us your questions, send us your podcast topic ideas. You can reach out to us at sloppyunforeseen, all one word, at gmail.com, or hit us up on Instagram, send us a DM. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know what you thought of the episode. Hey, until next time, uh, stay sloppy and unforeseen, my friends. Bye.